Ladies and gentlemen, great, great to be with you today. I'm John Wheaton, your host of the Creating Structure podcast. Back with you again today, my esteemed guest, Mr. Tom O'Malley, managing partner, Clover Architectural Products. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for thanks for having me, John. I'm uh, very uh, very excited to be on, and uh, it's it's great. I've listened to a lot of your shows, and it, it, it's fun. I'm looking forward to this, and it'll it'll be uh, yeah, always a little nervous doing doing any type of uh, live audio, but I'm uh, I, I you make it seem real real seamless. So thanks thanks for thanks for thinking enough of me to have me on. Well, thanks for thinking enough of me. Thanks for that, and thinking enough of me to to share your time. You know, you were on my list for quite a while. I have a long list. And it was the meeting we had a couple of weeks ago where we were kind of introducing our teams to each other. I'm like, why haven't I yet followed through with Tom? So thanks for that quick response. You know, as as on the podcast, often things happen a little more organically than many might assume. <laughs> so that's the great way. You look great. It's good to have you. You know, you're really well known because you're you're out there. Your name is out there. I think you're pretty well known in the industry, but there will be many on this podcast that don't know who you are because we have a, a reasonably broad listening audience. Um, so let's get into it. Tell us who you are, where you're from, where you come from, where you went to school, how you sure. got, where you got. Let's just get into it. Sure. So I, I grew up in uh, Orland Park, Illinois, uh, which is Southwest suburbs. Uh, one of your previous guests, there are two of them, uh, Kevin Carey and Dan Shields, are both. We're both. I'm older than both of them, so I didn't know them then, back in the day. But um, so I grew up there. I went to high school in the city at, in uh, in Marist uh, High School, which is just inside the city boundary, and uh, had a great experience there. Got to meet kids from all over, and you know, kind of you know, toughened me up a little bit from my uh, my suburban days, but um. You know, from there, I, I, I went to uh, Indiana University in Bloomington, and uh, I loved it down there. It's a, a beautiful campus. Uh, again, met people from all over the country. It's 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 got a lot of great programs, and it attracts people from you know all over the Midwest, but also um, from the East Coast, the West Coast, and so so that was great. And uh, so I, I was four years away there, and then uh, I came back to uh, came back to the uh, Chicagoland, and. Uh, you know, from there, my my first job uh, I got from, well, uh, my first full time job was I was in my friend's backyard and we were shooting hoops. It was a it was a man night. His dad had um, told his son he could have all his buddies over and he had some friends over and he asked what I was looking to do. I'm like, well, I'd like to like to work in sports. So he uh, it, was, it was Mike Sheehan who is the sheriff of Cook County. He said, Skinny, come here. I'm <laughs> to work in sports and. Uh, and Skinny ran special events for the city, and the World Cup was coming to to Chicago. And the next thing I knew, I had an interview, and I was uh, I was working for the mayor's office of special events, and, and primarily just on the World Cup. So I, I worked for a special host committee, and I did that for a year, and and it was great. I, I loved it. I got to meet uh, you know the who's who of Chicago's elite because they were all on the host committee, and uh, the, I played soccer in high school, and I, I so it was kind of fun to be part of that, and it was. You know, we the opening games in Chicago, and um, I one of my one of my fun things is I I made a we were trying to think of different things to do in the city, and I said, why don't we put all the flags of all the different countries on on the Michigan Avenue Bridge, and and my boss said, well, get it done, and uh, and we did. So and well, I I still feel they should rename Michigan Avenue the O'Malley Bridge, but it it still hasn't happened. But 
Yeah, come on. There's no respect there. Like, no, facts. No, and, so. and especially in Chicago, the O'Malley Bridge, like that would go over great. It would. It's almost better. Um, it's a, <laughs> that was like a year contract. Um, so when that was up, I, uh, I went to work for a company called Romano Brothers Beverage. And um, that was a, I, I basically worked for the Gallo Wine Company. Uh, that's all we sold. And so it was kind of a training program. And you know, I was there for a couple of years and I, I great experience. They uh, known for their, their, their tr- sales training and their, and their, so I got to do their sales training. I got to do their management training. I worked alongside one of the Gallows um, and I learned how hard she worked. And I mean, she came up and she worked harder than anybody. And it taught me like, here's someone that's going to someday take over the, the, the family of fortune. And, and she, she was out hustling everybody and, you know, making her, her name and, you know, proving her worth. And so, so that was great. Um, from there, I, I, I kind of, uh, went back to, if I backtracked a little bit, I, I, my family grew up and we had a, a lake house up in Grand Beach, Michigan, and that's where the trainer family had a, a lake house. And so we knew, we knew the trainers and in high school, my senior year, I worked after school hunting garbage cans and, you know, uh, doing, doing all those fun things for four hours a day. And that led to the summer job and I ended up working four summers there and, so circle, you know, after this wine thing was going on, I was, uh, Bob Trainer called me and said they might have a, an opening. I sent him my resume to see if he, you know, if any, I was passing it around to see different people. Maybe he had some friends and he's like, Hey, I think we're looking for somebody at Drelco and you'd have to travel. And, and so th- that, that's kind of how I jumped back into the, uh, back into the industry. So uh a little bit more like i i live in the western suburbs now i i see in one of your previous podcasts you said one you know one point you guys started on berwin and then your dad was in hinsdale which was kind of a farming town then and so i live one town over in western springs and uh so but i, I can tell you hinsdale is no farming town today john so oh, it's, it's not it's oh. a nice it's like the place to be and i am it's in lombard Oh, they were at Lombard. Now they're in Wheaton, and we yeah. wondered, like, what happened? Like, why couldn't I have been like a, like in the family that had like the founding fathers of Wheaton, Illinois? But it's not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That would have been great. Um. So yeah, so that, that's kind of my background. Um, that's great. So the trainer family from formerly Trainer Glass, and now of course they're still like, Marty Ventana, and they're in different spots. Um. They had a beach house, a lake house at Grand Beach, Michigan, as well. You got to know them and the family and such, and so they had they had some interest in Duralco, right? Yeah. So they they the family members owned in the end it was different variations, but they owned eighty five percent of it. Um, and then myself, I had owned five percent. I had bought it from one of the trainers, and there's two other people that owned five percent. So there's eighty five percent by by the different variation of trainers okay so so you went like many i've i've interviewed you, you had this perfectly direct path from the city of chicago <laughs> to romano brothers boom duralco <laughs> okay right so, so somebody took it bob or whoever yeah tom tim or bob or whoever like they knew you they liked you they they, they took a chance on you what were you doing when you got to Duralco? Were you in sales? Were you a rep? Like, where did you start? What did you do? And how did you assimilate then into 
what we know as you know this this architectural um, specialties industry. Sure. So yeah, I started as a salesman, and I was going to be the I was basically the national salesman. I was I was replacing uh, a guy named Bill Zintarski, who was kind of moving on to do some different things, and so that was my my role. And then right after I got hired, they also hired someone else, and we kind of split up the country. And I was going to do the East Coast, and he was going to do the West Coast, and and that's what we did for maybe a, a couple of years. Um, and, and, and I did sales and it was a time when they had bought a company called Intertech, which was, you know, right, you know, one town over from, uh, from, from Duralco and Intertech was known for doing gratings and grills. And it was kind of right when Sunshade started getting more popular. And so Intertech, it kind of had a rep network already established. Um, so it was kind of managing some of those reps. Um, and then, you know, calling on other clients for, you know, Duralco also had made rails for all glass doors. So really it was, it was maintaining those relationships on the door side and then kind of growing the, the, the grading grill sunshade business. And that's really what took off for Duralco is the, is the sunshade side. The, the, the door side was good, but it, you know, it, and it grew, but it not as, as much as, is is the, is the sunshade side of it. So, was there anything in your background that you knew of or in, the, I mean, obviously you learned a lot about sales with the Gallo thing. Yeah. But did you know coming out of college, did you know when you were a kid, did you know when you were working for the mayor's office, like sales was your thing, like sales was a thing, like you could be or you were good at that or is it something that you just migrated into? Um, I, I'd say I probably migrated into it, and I'll be honest. I uh, I would get really nervous talking, and when I graduated, I actually went up. My mom was a teacher, and she knew I. I mean, I I didn't stutter necessarily, but I would I would freeze up, and I couldn't get the word out, and then it was almost worse, you know, at times. So she had me go meet with. Um, she taught some other, you know, the speech speech pathologists within like her school and other. And they recommended this guy up at Northwestern. He was chair of the program and he was kind of retiring. So I went to his house and I met with him and he, he gave me tips and I went up there, you know, probably all summer. I think I just started my first job, but I would mean, I would go after work and getting to Evanston, Illinois is that easy no. coming from it. But the guy was great and he really helped me. Like I'm, I'm amazed that I can get up and do a presentation or I can do something like this. Um, it, and so, yeah, I mean, Going and talking in front of people is probably the farthest thing that, that from from where I thought I'd be able to do. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things. I guess if you you kind of you know tackle your fears or, or you have people help you tackle your fears and, and assist you, and and uh, it was great. The guy just gave me a lot of like small things and tips. And now now it doesn't even you know every once in a while it'll it'll pop up, but not not often. So, you know what, Tom? Thank you for sharing that. We could adjourn the podcast right now, and I think many people would be inspired just by that story. I did not know that. That is so phenomenal. That is so great that you could... Yeah, no, I would have never guessed that, and that is a great story that... And I guess, you know, my mind could run off in many directions. Like, you know, you can conquer that mountain. You can do whatever it is you, you, you know, push yourself to do and conquering your fears and stepping in out of your comfort zone so kudos to you you know my um we were 
we were talking the other day we were at a, a little art show in our in our town and um we we're talking to some ladies who had written a book and uh, we we're talking about you know a particular just a not not necessarily a handicap but a particular issue um and then and the woman she said you know what everybody's dealing with something everybody's got some limitation everybody's got some problem you know and you don't know sometimes sometimes we think sometimes we think we're the only one with a particular problem or that whose health isn't perfect or whatever and then once we share it people are like oh well i got this problem too you know what i mean right no it's that's 100 percent true and uh you know, it, it's it's also one of those things you, you always look at, like, oh, look at they have, and you know, and then you know, I I remember showing my dad a house, you know, probably in Hinsdale, right next to it, and and he's like, oh, that's great. He goes, but someone's probably looking at your house right now, saying, I wish I lived in that house, and it, it's all relative sometimes. You know, you get, you know, you, you always aspire for certain things, but you know, it, it, basically, it's sometimes be happy with what you have, and it, there's nothing wrong with you know, obviously having goals and wanting wanting things better and stuff, but. Sometimes you have to realize what you have, and you know, and yeah. So well said. I don't think there's a an issue with aspiring to have more, but not. I mean, it is it is a great value to be content with what we have, and you know, measure backwards. I mean, that's another whole side trail. But I always tell tell people, and you know, I learned it. I what I didn't I didn't develop it. I learned it. But you know, when we measure. We measure backwards. You don't measure into the future because the future is an abstract. So if you're always aspiring to something new or some horizon, like that's an abstract. As a human, we can visualize it because we have that capability. But like measuring progress, well, I started in this apartment and I went to this ranch house and then I went to this by level and then I went to this. Like you're like, oh, I don't have the mansion yet and I want one. But yeah, you know, so we always measure backwards. So that's a good perspective. Anyway, I digress. So that's fascinating. So you were, you you went, you had this great sales training. You said mm -hmm. with basically the you know Gallo products, um, and then you transitioned to Duralco. But did you know anything beyond what you knew about the trainers or whatever? Did you know anything about architectural products or materials or fabrication or anything? No, I mean, I, I'll be the first to say I'm probably uh, my family laughs at me like. If there's an issue like, oh, are you calling Uncle Joe to come over and help? I'm like, no, I can change a light bulb. Or <laughs> I, I have a story that I love. The it's one of my favorites. I was working at Duralco in the summer, or probably trainer actually, and uh, um, and I was having lunch with some of the guys from the shop, and you know they always were nice to me, and yeah, you know, they ripped me as the college kid, whatever. And and I opened up my lunch, and the guy said, hey, he goes, uh. Oh, do you peel your orange at home? And I'm like, no, no, my mom peeled my orange for me. And that was like, that was the worst thing to say. I, I mean, <laughs> they just had a field day with it. But so more joking, like I, you know, I, I was not definitely the most uh, architecturally or I'm, I'm not the most mechanical type person, but by any means. And uh, so it's, it's amazing that I'm in the construction industry. Not, I, I probably don't give myself enough credit. I mean, I've obviously have learned and I, I know my product. I know a lot of things about it, but there's so many more people that, that know a lot more and, you know, I, I, I always aspire to know more and I, I, I'm always impressed with there's certain people in the industry that are really good at the technical side and the sales side. And, and I would love to have a little bit more of that. Um, and then, you know, but you know, it, and it's hard to find, you know, the people that can 
talk te- technical and someone wants to listen to them talk technical. You know, sometimes people just, you know, can go off on a tangent. They're like, oh, I just asked a simple question and yeah, you want, I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I did not have the, the, you know, the, the architectural background or, you know, the, other than me working in the summer type of thing. Well, I want to unpack this a little bit more though, because there's obviously, so, you know, there's something in your being, in your DNA, in your person, you know, so you knew the trainers, you, 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 you went into the sales position, then you went into Duralco, you weren't a mechanics guy, like you weren't, you know, Dan Shields working at a, at a CNC equipment or sweeping floors or whatever. Um, so is it, do you like the challenge of problem solving? Do you like the beauty of architectural componentry? Do you like the client relationship aspect? Or is it just really a blend of all things? Do, do you just like solving problems, creating solutions? Like what is it that pulled you in, that attracts you, that made, because something is there. You've been at it a long time. I, I mean, I, I obviously I like to say blend of all those, but I mean, where, where I feel like I've, probably have done well as I, I've really hustled. I, I travel a ton. Um, I still do. And I mean, I would take 20 trips a year, sometimes more, and I'd go see everybody. And, and it wasn't easy back when I first started and you, you go around and, 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 and aside of that year after year, when I was there, trainer kept expanding to every different market. And so, you know, they were my sister company and I had to explain that where, you know, I'd be in a market and, you know, I'd have to overcome that. And so I'd had to build some, I had to build a trust and a friendship and, you know, and you hear people always talk to yourself and their friends. And I really do feel like I got to that point where I'm in a spot now where I'm, I'm fortunate to, you know, I try to respect my client's time and try to set up some appointments, but other times it's like, depending on what I'm going out to a market for, they may, I may just reach out and like, yeah, come on in Tom. Or I have some people I just meet instead of go to their office, like we'll meet for uh, coffee or meet for a beer or meet, meet for lunch, you know, whatever. And so I, I really do like the client side of it. I like building that relationship and in, um, in, in fostering it with not only that person and maybe the other people in their, in their office or, you know, people shuffle and move around companies. And, you know, I like to, you know, then follow them around and, you know, it, well, keep, keep maintaining the other relationship I had at the, the other company. Um, and yes, I mean, I, I feel like I've been fortunate, you know, when I was at Duralco, we did a lot of custom things and we had a wide variety of products. Um you know, we had the, the 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 door rails, and then we went into sunshades, and then we went into panels. And now, now, while I never liked panels, you know, we did them and and so forth. And when we started started Clover, same thing. Like people come to us for some kind of wacky stuff. They, we we like doing the really standard stuff, but we get brought into other things. So I like when my team can come up with a solution, or that someone thinks enough of us. Like, oh, we got this job. Call Tom, and. You know, we'll come up with a way to do it, and we'll we'll find a solution. And and so, it, it's probably a mixture of all those things. Um, John probably is, is probably what has drawn me into this and kept me kept me going in it. That's, that's fantastic. How, how much do you still travel, and how much is virtual now versus face to face? Most I, I don't do a lot of virtual. Um, I do most of my stuff isn't in face to face. Um, I'll probably do 20 trips a year probably. And, and it's still like, so I, I haven't traveled a lot this summer. I have two kids going out to college. So I did a couple things in June, nothing in July. 
And then also, I think people get busy in the summer. They don't maybe don't want to see you. And so um, after we, I, I take one daughter goes off to St. Louis University. The other one's gone off to University of Virginia, based both the same day. One well, then uh, after that, I'll get back on the road. Um, but but I, I I don't have a rep network really. I, I have two or three reps I work with, so it's it's really I'm the rep type thing. And and I think a lot of people like that um, that that they're dealing direct with us. Um, or the team. I mean, it, when I say us, it, it's it's not just me. It's it's everyone here. But I, I do feel like there's a value there, and I, I know a lot of people have said, "Oh, with Zoom, you don't have to go do this and all that." And and believe me, there's a truth to a lot of that. I feel like I feel like if you sometimes out of sight, out of mind, and and I've gone in places, and they're like, "Oh, I forgot you did that." I'm like, "Okay, yeah." So I and I like it. I like getting out there, and it's it's it's. Don't get me wrong; it's getting harder as I you know get a little bit older and. I'm uh my family doesn't like traveling with me because I'm I could be grumpy and you know like the I probably let the small things bother me because you 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 have dealt with so much now some people can say well then you've dealt with so much that shouldn't bother you anymore but you, you just you know the it's the small things and um uh but no I mean I it's it, I'm fortunate that I I don't really have to take direct flights out of Chicago so I can you know it's it's easier and. I'm pretty set in my ways. I, you know, I, I try to travel just American Airlines. So, I, you know, I, I, there's some benefits there. And I, I try to stay in this, you know, wh- one or two hotel chains. So I get used to where I'm staying. So travel's gotten easier. And I don't feel like I'm in a spot where I'm having to uh, do as much cold calling where, you know, I'm, you know, where when I first started out, I was, I mean, I'd see seven or eight people a day if I had to. And yeah, without, without, uh, without, you know, ways or or whatever the maps you know google maps and i had an atlas book and you know i remember one time i made the wrong turn and i went over the brooklyn bridge twice you know it took me an hour to get a mile to my hotel so right. um but i was always proud of myself when i i made it and i there was also a time i think when i'd be leaving somewhere and the client would like would ask me where i was going next and i'd hesitate and they're like well, i don't care who you're seeing I'm, I'm assuming you're seeing my competitors but i'll tell you how to get there and I always appreciated that they were trying to help me out, and you know, and so, um, you know, that's the other thing. I think this our, our industry is a great group of people. Yeah, um, you know, I, I I go back to like when we started the company, the, people helped us out, and I think it's either I've said this before that I either people worked at a startup themselves, or they started their own company, and they remembered what people did for them, and. You know, I, I, I've joked several times, some of the initial projects we got, like my parents would give me those jobs. And like, you know, you sure? Yeah. You know, they're like, no, we trust you. And so, um, but, but yeah, so it's it, it, on the travel side, it, it is mostly in person. Um, and, and if need be, like our team here does a lot more Zoom meetings and projects once we get them. And so, yeah. But, but yeah, that's convenient. That's good to know. Thank you. So then talk to me about Clover Architectural because you are, a managing partner at Clover Architectural, right? Correct. And how did that form? Like, what was the formation of that like? I mean, you are a you are a, an owner of the business, right? So, correct. So there's a, there's a couple of us, yeah. Yeah. And how did that how did that transition? Was this something always? Was this always a desire? Was it a natural progression? And and what does Clover do? Sure. Uh, so no, it was not. It was not on my uh, radar and. Um, when Trainer Glass went bankrupt, they had brought kind of tied Duralco down because uh, the owners of the 85% of Duralco had pledged their, pledged their shares to the bank and also put it, us up as part of their performance bond. So they couldn't be sold. 
And so they had to kind of wait for the whole global settlement to happen. And someone had approached me about looking at Torelco. I had you know met with them and at breakfast explained I own 5%. I have no say what's going on. Um, and they said, hey, it's that's kind of a mess you're in the middle of. And I said, yes, I'm aware. <laughs> like, to get out of it, I'm like, yeah, I, I know. Um, Thanks for the feedback, right? Correct, yes. And it was hard. I, I, you know, I had three kids in private Catholic school and, you know, it was 40, 43, you know, um, wow. perfect time to start your own business, right? And still, so, um, but so after that meeting, uh, one of the guys there, who's kind of the guy that would find deals for these guys, uh, Ed Carney said, he called me up and turned out he lived in the same town as I did and we knew some of the same people and, um, He's like, hey, I, you know, there may be, they're not interested, but I may know some people that if you want to start something from scratch. And I said, yeah, perhaps. And, you know, so we, we talked a little bit and took about six months and the initial backer kind of fell apart. And I, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to move on and, you know, see what happens. And, uh, and then he's like, I got, I got another backer. I'm like, oh, well, who? And he's like, my brother. I'm like, okay. So it turned out his brother's a great guy, Tom Carney, and you know he was very successful in the real estate uh, development of you know apartments and managing them around the country. And um, so him and another guy, Bill Callahan, kind of helped fund our company to get started. And then we brought in Jim Strumpluski, and so um, and that's kind of how it got started. It was uh, you know we all kind of took a chance, and uh, Ed, Ed didn't really have much of a background in construction. He was in the banking industry for a long time, and. Um, so no, I mean, it was the last thing on, on my mind and, you know, my, my, my wife, Lorraine was great about saying, go for it. And, you know, and believe in me to, to do that. And, um, you know, I'm sure she was nervous about it too, but, um, she knew I was ready for a change. I didn't like what was going on in my, my former company and I didn't want to be part of that. And I knew I had to do something and I knew I could do probably get some other jobs, but like, it, it was funny, like people either wanted me to move when I was talking to some other companies and I didn't want to move my family. I was here, from here, her family's here, my family. And, um, so it's one of those things. And once, once you did leave, more opportunities came up and you're like, oh, well, it's just, it's hard to just quit something thinking you're going to get something. Um, but you know, nine years later, yeah, I couldn't be happier. We did what we did. Um, and, and to, to kind of expand about that, we were really fortunate. So when we started the company, um, and for the first eight years until we, we bought a company last August, Clover was a metal fabricator who didn't who didn't fabricate a thing. So we worked at the company called Circle Metals. Uh, Mike and Rob Mishka were people I grew up with and knew them. And I started asking them about saws. And Mike asked if I wanted to borrow his table saw for the weekend. And I'm like, no, I started explaining a little bit more. And he's like, oh. That's interesting. And we had a couple lunches and he said, Hey, we, we'd like to fabricate it for you. So you don't have to go get a shop or at least you don't have to jump into it. And, you know, that's what we did. And we continued to do it because they do a fantastic job for us. And, you know, so, you know, we, we sell a job and, you know, we, we do the drawings in house and we outsource the engineering. And, and then once we get the job, we order the material, we cut the dies ourselves. We, we take care of any fasteners. Um, and then Circle Meadows will cut it, put it together. And then if we have to get some other parts and pieces made, we'll do that um, and get it over to them. And then we take care of shipping, any post finishing that needs to be done. And so it, you know, initially people are like, oh, you're a broker. I'm like, no, we're, we're not a broker at all. I mean, we're 
we're definitely we're not fabricating it, but we're doing everything else. And you know, so it's not like we're just writing them a PO and they're cutting the dyes and doing all those things. So uh, we we kind of knew where he had to do be competitively and um. So yeah, so that that's kind of how Clover, and then we have we have you know four or five six other companies that we work with uh, from time to time for different parts and pieces and um. But yeah, for the most part, it's, they're our, our main uh, partner and. And then um, we, we bought another company last August, American Custom, and, and American Custom was a, a local guy in New Lenox, Illinois, and uh, the owner Bill Anisich stayed on with us, and you know, for, and he'll, he will for a little bit a while longer. And he had a great reputation. He does brake metal, and he does uh, uh, interior fin tube covers, and he did, you know he was doing our cladded doors. He, we were a big customer of his, and he had approached us before, and so we we kind of revisited it that and, and so we, we fabricate now but most of the stuff we don't we, we still do it the way we were doing so 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 you still have you you owned all the risk you own all the risk all the correct intellectual property and designs you have a fab a primary fabricator and half a dozen other suppliers of different things yeah. but now you're also doing s- s- some direct fabrication but you're not doing your whole volume correct it, it's a very small portion of what we and 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 that's our plan for right now. I mean, we're not looking, you know, it's it's worked great, and you know, it's you know that they have a great facility and they have a great team, and and they're very well known. You know, they do a lot of work for a couple of really large blazing contractors, and and are, and then they do a lot for, in the Chicagoland area too for a lot of other blazing contractors. So they do a lot of steel and steel trusses, and you know, all that good stuff. And um, they they've just really been a great partner of ours. That's really great. You know, it's it's funny. Just every time I talk to the, the Chicago area, is so prolific because I've you know, I talked to Kevin Carey, who's in Texas now. Yeah. I'm talking to you. I've talked to Dan and others, and um, I have a whole group. So my my mother and my father are both from Hinsdale. Okay. My, my mother's dad, John Lane, he was a constable in DuPage County back in the day. Um, she had four siblings. Her sister married a guy, and they took up residence in New Lenox. Okay, so you're talking about New Lenox. Yeah. I was just talking to two of my cousins, one yesterday, one today, and they're in Manhattan, New Lenox, that yeah. whole region there, the whole crew of them. And uh, yeah, part of it to, for me is it's almost like a flashback to like, oh, I got to get back to Illinois and see some family. You know, oh, it's, it's crazy. Cool. Yeah. That's great. So American Custom Fab, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Um, so did you feel that there was there was a strategic component to that though for adding it to the kind of Clover family? Yeah, you know, the thing we really like about it and that we were doing a lot of is these interior fin tube covers. And oh. like the first time we sold one was uh probably five, six years ago. We did children's hospital in Philadelphia with Harmon and and uh, and we bid it, and then the guy came back and said, "Look, you know, they said a detail after we got it. He's like, well, um, I'm like, well, th- there's slots in here, and he's like, yeah, it's a fin tube cover. Like, well, the other detail didn't have any, and he's like, they all have them, Tom. And I, of course, I looked it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, they do. Like, so <laughs> I, I joked with Jim Ball that I said, I, you know, I don't even know what I, I sell sometimes, but uh, but we did it. It was fine. We were able to make that work, and it, that was our first one. And it was a big job. It was like a half million dollars of fin tubes, and wow. and then we started doing you know some others for some other people, and you know we just did a big one up in Boston, and we we're doing one in, in Michigan, and we have two here in Chicago, and 
And, you know, so it's starting to become more repetition and people are recognizing we're doing it or they're coming back for their second or third job with it. And what we found is when the Glazers get it in their package, which which is that often, they don't really want to work with the, the mechanical companies. To They're great. Those companies are great companies, but they're not used to work with the Glazers and maybe like, hey, this piece has to be this size and everyone has to be different size. And they don't want that. They, they want more, probably more consistency of what they're doing and um, and I'm not saying that they don't have jobs that have some, you know, variation at, uh, on the mechanical side, but I, they, I think, just felt more comfortable deal, dealing with us, and we could offer it. So we really felt like that was a product that we could definitely grow more around the country. The other stuff they do, they do a lot of brake metal and stuff like that, and they have some, we have a couple of retail clients we do stuff for that we make like point of purchase displays and stuff outside the construction industry. <clears throat> really, it was, uh, it was really that product that we felt we could do more with, you know. Yeah, kind of well, that interesting. Um, I got a hundred questions, so I got to. So, Tom and Ed and Bill, like, were they active partners or just investors? So, um, Tom and Bill were just active. We were just investors, and then Ed is daily, and so is Jim daily. So Jim heads up operations. Ed handles. Uh, so Ed and I are co-managing partners. Ed is the um, more handles more of the back office, and he helps out on the door side, some order entry, all the billing and, and all that stuff. And there, uh, 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 more of that side. So, yeah, you know, anybody that owns or is part owner in a business, I just, I just again, this thing's coming to my mind. Can we understate the import? Can, can we overstate the importance of the back office? I mean. I, Yes. That does not run smoothly. Cash flow, billing, general ledger, bank relationship, accounting, HR. I mean, uh, unbelievable. Like, if I couldn't do what I do. I mean, I, my partner is dealing with all that now. It's just, I shout out to everybody that runs the back office. They, it, I call it the spine of the organization. It's like the the, the neural network center. Well, 100%, Jack, is there's plenty of customers that you we've dealt with that either they don't pay their bills or you, you talk to people on their, you know, like, so Ed's really good about, it. we make sure we pay all our bills and he tries to do most in 30 or under everyone else is 40 or under. And I can't tell how many times like we're out trying to collect money and, and some prime. He does all that. And sometimes I'll jump in. Like if I know someone and we'll, we're going over, yeah. I'm like, let's make a call. Um, but no, I could, I mean, there's people I know that work at places and they're like, I can't even get, Hawk, or I can't go to Home Depot and pick up some wood for this because we we don't have any money to pay it, or we're late with everybody. And you know, I there's nothing more frustrating with you know companies that just pay late just to pay late versus ones that maybe are, you know companies run into financial struggles and they're just waiting on some things and and that's understandable. And and we're we try to be understanding of that, of that uh, where if the, if our client is telling us, hey, this is where we're at, like okay, great, just let us out and we'll work with right. you. Right, and, you know we're. We're pretty easy. We don't do. Uh, it's uh, if, if I probably shouldn't say this in case our bankers listening. We don't do really credit checks. We we kind of go off of you know, Tom. Who are these people? Who are you selling to? And you know, every once in a while, there's people I don't know, and you know, it's someone that came to us and either is a lead from someone else, and you're you're taking a, l- a little bit of a flyer, but we really haven't been burned. So um, you know, and for the most part, you can control a little bit of that with material going out and stuff. But some jobs are real quick and. You know, yeah. material comes in, goes out, and and you're you're kind of on the hook for all of it. But right, yeah. 
Yeah, no, but to your point, the back office is uh, is 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 the heart of the company a lot of times. So, yeah, I always say back office typically won't. I mean, they're not front facing. They typically won't win a customer or or um, acquire a customer, but they sure can tick them off and lose them. Sure, we've had that recently where a, a collections process was misapplied. And I mean, you know, yeah, we're we're, we're not going to lose a two hundred fifty thousand dollars relationship over a twenty seven dollars finance charge, you know. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh! But yeah, shout out to the back office. So, um, so Clover, a little bit more about your product then. So, yeah. is Clover making architectural specialties, panels, like everything related to, or is it just? Is it sunshades, fin tubes, things like that that are on the exterior of a building that are attached to the kernel? What all are you doing? Sure. So our, our main product line, I would say, would be would be the sunshades. And that would be either the, you know, it could be a vertical perforated fin. It could be a, a solid fin. It, it could be an airfoil extrusion, you know, with, you know, four airfoils and a fascia. It can be something that we just did a crazy job in uh, Cambridge called 40 Thorndike that was insane uh but it's these were these units were like 15 foot tall 10 foot wide and had these tapered half inch plate one inch plate fit like outriggers so people think of us for custom things and um so so we'll do all tort all sorts of sunshades um you know and, and, and that can like i say can, can involve you know perforated metal being used either horizontally or vertically it can be a lot of different things then we also do a lot of garage screening. So we'll do we'll take a perf- perforated panel and frame it up. We'll we'll bend it up into different shapes and and and, and then frame it. We'll do like an expanded metal. We'll do uh, corrugated perforated. So we'll do a lot of things like that. Um, and then we also do a lot of cladded doors. So we'll we'll take a storefront door and clad it in brass or bronze or months and you know things like that. Um, and then we have we've done a couple really high end uh, glass handrails, so like seven foot windscreens. Sure. And we did a really big one in Chicago, one ten North Wacker. We did a big one in Boston. Um, we've mm-hmm. done some high end um, glass canopies. We did the McDonald's new headquarters. We did all the steel. We did all the glass. All the bought all the fittings, but we did we provided the glass. You did provide all the glass. We did. Yes, uh-huh. everything. The whole. The, the whole thing. kit, yeah. So, wow. I, I, when I we bought that glass, I told Garrett Henson, I can't believe I'm not like you know being wined and dined for the twenty thousand dollars in glass I bought. So, he <laughs> said, "I'll yeah, get." that big order at Viracon, wasn't it? Well, I mean, they, I, I think they had to shut everything down to run it, but um, so stuff like that. And then, then we have our interior division. We'll we'll, we'll do rails for all glass doors. So we do the rails, the header bars, side lights. Um, we prep it for all the different hardware. We don't we don't make our own hardware, but we'll prep for the different you know closures and arms and pivots. Um, so we have a whole line of customers that buy that from us. Wow. And with the um, and then then we'll get into some custom fab, you know, some crazy stainless steel fabrication and and things like that. So and and, and one of the reasons that people come to us is because we haven't had our own shop is. We don't say, well, we don't have that machinery. We can't do it. We're like, well, I know who has that that machinery. I can get you what you want. And 
the customer doesn't care. The law that get them what they want and it's the price they need it at, we'll do it. We did some 22 foot individual fins with crazy cutouts uh, at Western Michigan University. And it was, it was a really cool job to be part of. And no one else was able to do it. Everyone else is going to have to break it apart. And um, so, you know, we, we had a resource that could do that for us. And, and that's what we did. And so we, we've done a couple jobs like that. Um, so, so we're not afraid to obviously get it done, you know, buy the material, get it done somewhere else. And, um, but yeah, yeah. So that, that's kind of our, our, our breadth of products. That's really good to know. It's fascinating that you have this, you make a really good point. You know, there's pros and cons to having, you know, let's say it's horizontally integrated. There's pros and cons to having all of that. Um, but that is a really good point. You're not obliged other than your American custom fabricator, either, which already had its product line. You're not obliged to have to fill certain equipment types, certain amounts of time with certain limitations, and then try to force that into the shop. You're you're able to follow the customization and pivot and work with the spreader. That's that's a really good point. So that's a real um, asset, really, to have that network. No, it's very great. We, we've been fortunate in these. A lot of these people realize we only come to them every once in a while for some of the products, but they they're still really good to us about it. And, and others are really appreciative that we're filling, putting work in their shop and they wouldn't have the contacts to go get this business. So they're happy to, to get the business we're giving them. And like, you know, there's always a worry, like, hey, I'm going to give this guy business. Is he going to go try to take my customer? And, you know, I, I put the name of our customers on our websites and people are like, oh, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, if we're doing our job, I don't, you know, one, I want to brag that who we're doing work with. And two, if we're doing our job, then they'll come back to us. And, you know, and that's just, I mean, and it's not like it's top secret who, who the, the, the the best glazing contractors are. You can, it, right. It's outward, you know, and then on the websites and the the, the the list from, you know, the U.S. Glass and Glass Magazine, they, they all list it. And, you know. No, that's a good point. I mean, it's not, if you can't, do the research and figure it out. It's not like it's a big secret, you know. Well, no, no. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I was we were we're working on a thing in New York right now. I have a New York entity, and my one of my consultants and I were working on a thing with a a collaborative partner there. Just similar thing, but in professional services. And you know, you're you're a good example of you know what Seth Godin would call the the shared economy, the sharing economy. You know, like, hey, I can't do this, but you can, but I could sell that and you can't, but you can ship that, but I can't. And you're building this collaborative network and, you know, the it's not a, it's not a like, well, if I get a bigger piece of the pie, you get a smaller piece. No, you can get a bigger pie. Like you can grow yeah. the pie, right? So that's a really great example. And you've been doing it for a while. Too bad you didn't write the book and coin the term, you know, you could have, yeah really done well, put on the million dollar seminar. So, um, okay, so have you seen any trends? Like you, so you talked about, you know, starting at Jarelka, you started seeing sunshades and you did sunshades and now you're doing all these custom sunshades and, and all these various types. Have you seen any trends in the industry, you know, with the with lead buildings, with energy improvements, with energy mandates, with architectural um i mean certainly you have certainly you have to like sure. taking your network your customer base and you're seeing this feed 
that is informing you. So what kind of trends have you seen? What kind of trends toward innovation or development? Um, I would say we probably don't get as many trends in what we do as compared to a lot of in the glazing side, you know, where like the, the different types of glass, whether it's, you know, the, you know, UV values or the bird friendly and all those things that people are seeing. Um, I, I would say we're seeing more, uh, you know, vertical applications of Sunchase being used a lot more than ever before. So we are seeing a lot more of that. Um, we're seeing a lot more of the the, the wood grain uh, finishes being used. Uh, so that's a powder coat going on that looks like wood. And, and that, that's becoming a lot more prevalent than ever before. Um, hmm. Those are probably a couple of the things that, that, that we've seen at, on our end from there. Um, I, we don't, you know, the, on the lead side, you know, we always have to, you know, submit the different lead, but like, it seems like that never, at least our, our stuff is probably so small in the grand scheme of the project. Yeah. Like they ask for what they can get out of us, but it's, it, you know, so it, it's one of those things that even like, uh, way back when, when I was at Duralco, we started looking at PV sunshades and everyone thought, oh, that'll be the rage. And, you know, that, and it just, no one wanted to plug it in. And it was always like, well, <laughs> I'm not getting this. And so, yeah, we're we're probably in, in a little bit outside of that, um, but as far as like what we see sunshade wise, we are definitely seeing a lot more vertical sunshades running up the building and a lot more the the uh, of the P, of the of the wood grain type of application. Well, no, so you are seeing, I mean, trends. So those are two trends. Do you think the wood grain it, does that at all correspond with like mass timber or? The no correlation. Um, I don't think I, I don't think any correlation with it, but I, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Yeah. Um, um, and have you seen um, over the? I know the market's up and down and stuff, but it, do do you see a, a continued steady increase in sunshade applications and the use of sunshades? Um, and is it more around the country than it used to be, or is it primarily in the West or what do you see there? Anything at all? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's all over. It's definitely still, it, it, it's something that, you know, it, it, we're, we're fortunate being based in the middle of the country that we are competitive shipping all over the country. And we've got some pretty good relationships in California and Hawaii and Texas, wow. the, the Northeast to the Southeast. And you, what I would say is it, it, we're busier than ever bidding. But it seems like at a stage right now where a lot of things aren't being awarded or they're going out for the second and third round again, which we hadn't seen that in a long time. And in certain markets like Washington, D.C., where I felt like they never slowed down or Texas, both of those seem like they're slowing down a little bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, which a, a, a little bit concerning. But then, honestly, the last couple of weeks, it, things like, it's, it, it seems like things are picking back up again. And uh, we, we've kind of been up. I'd say a little bit more energized with, with that. Um, you know, we had a couple projects that canceled because of uh, budgets, and one job just got uh, completely. There, we may be back on it. They're, they're revamping it. Um, you know, these are pretty big projects. You know, for us, but they also were pretty big projects that you know that it, you know, once at a major university that I was kind of surprised it wasn't all worked out ahead of time, and you know, funding wise, and it wasn't like they were over budget by a million. It was like twenty million dollars over budget, and. Wow. It was hard to believe they even got to that point, you know, where like someone was awarded and then they had to kind of backtrack it. So, um, and from talking to some other vendors and some clients, like everyone else has kind of seen a little bit of that. Um, 
But 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 honestly, the, the last couple of weeks we definitely have felt a, a little bit more energized with that. So um, again, yeah, that's that's interesting. We we are completely parallel, but they, and I don't know if it's coincidental or not. But same thing here. Like the last, I mean, I was before I got on this, I was finishing the fifth of seven proposals that we're working on in the last week, and um, it. it and there was more turn. On the other hand, our estimated work scorecard keeps going up. Like it, it's in, it's increased by about five or six hundred thousand dollars. But I don't necessarily think that's a good thing because it's because things aren't turning. Like to your point, things aren't turning. So like, you know, in two thousand eighteen, you know, you've got this large volume of estimated work and things are turning and it, you can barely keep up. And then stuff's still coming through the front door right now it's just coming in coming in coming in coming in coming in like okay well here's one coming out here's one coming out so getting those and i'm also seeing i have a couple of big jobs quoted but i'm also seeing a lot more i mean you know to to quote three hundred thousand dollars in work i'm i'm working on 15 or 20 jobs not two jobs you know so sounds like some similar trending and, and even in the last couple of weeks some things picking up, you know, that we're in the midst of ener- new energy mandates that have been put in place, you know, local one ninety seven in New York city. Um, owners have to bring their facades up. It's the most, my, unless Massachusetts wants to claim it now, but the mass energy code has just been put in place July one. So there's all kinds of different requirements now for U values for exterior walls and solar shading and, is part of that strategy. So it'll be interesting to see what you see. I know insulated glass is a big part of that too in mechanical systems and lighting, but people underestimate. I think a lot of owners think about or they're sold a bill of goods about the mechanical system, but if you don't replace your glass and you don't get a thermally broken system and you don't put some solar shading in place, you're really going to hurt yourself. Well, for sure. Yeah, you'll either have trouble renting the place because people aren't going to renew their lease and you know, you, you'll have a, you'll have a vacant building pretty quick. So let me, let me ask you about um, how you deal with things you've never seen before. In other words, and, and if, if I'm putting you on the spot, just say, but it's fine. So you go to a client, they show you something like this, these 22 foot long fins or the 15 foot tall by 10 foot wide. How do you, how do you approach that innovation like you're you're receiving a request for a certain type of product. Are you just going out then and I mean you, you may not agree with this, but you seem like a master networker. Like are you going out and deploying all your contacts to try to bring something together? How do you approach that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean that, that's exactly what I would do there is I initially what I would do is look at it and I'd grab Warren Hagee who does all our estimating and who allows me to go do what I do. He's phenomenal what he does. And, you know, he's got, he's, uh, you know, he's an estimator and it, almost like a, he, going back to the back office saying he makes everything happen. And I, I always joke, like I used to do all my own takeoffs and I would, uh, back in the day, it drove going. Um, so, but I'll do a takeoff sometimes, hand it to Warren and we'll price the job. And I'll say, Hey, did you use my takeoff? And he's like, no, no. <laughs> and then he'll like, he'll throw me up. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I use parts of it, Tom, just to make me feel better. But I've heard well, the same thing. Yeah. So, so I'll grab him, and you know, we'll we'll go through, and I'll look at it, and I'll say, "Hey, what do you think? How are we going to get this done? Or who, who can we go to? Or I maybe two steps ahead and already send it ahead to someone else thinking who I think can do it, or you know, if need be, we'll we'll you know get it, like an engineer involved, and they this is what we have to do, and so we definitely never want to say no. We're one of those companies that like especially if it's a, a good client and they're coming to us, we feel like we owe them to come up with something because they owe their clients something. Um, you know, and that's how we've been able to build our business is being a resource and, and finding solutions for, for our clients. And, you know, most of our businesses repeat, repeat clients and it, and we're very fortunate there. And, it, and a lot of companies have that. We're not the only company that's obviously repeat clients, but you know, we want, we want to definitely be thought of as just a, a thought of as a problem solver and not just a, a vendor to them, you know, that they're, they're buying, you know, bits and pieces from it's, you know, we, you know, we definitely have, you know, like we have partners that help us get things done that they're part of our team, you know, they're not just a vendor to us. And, you know, so yeah, that, that that's what we would do. We, we would start figuring out how we can get it done and who the best fit would be. We may talk to a couple people and get their you know thoughts as well. on like, Hey, can you do this? And, you know, because obviously at the end of the day, it's got to come down to price and, you know, some people can do it, but it, it just may cost an arm and a leg and other people may have a, a better angle at it. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. Um, yeah, you know, I think when I hear you, there's a lot of different ways to solve problems. Um, yeah, you, you can solve problems. I guess whatever skills we have are the ways we engage to solve problems and to develop product. You know, I was just listening Again, to everybody knows this probably, but you know the only college class that Steve Jobs was interested in was calligraphy. Oh, I didn't know that. You Steve Jobs? That's the only like he didn't want to go. Like, what am I here for? You know, and when when him and Gates were on the cover of Wired or Tech or whatever it was, you know, um, you know, MS had their their desktop product, and Apple was coming out with their. Joe's was like, we can't just have one font. Like he he wanted the artistic. He said, this is art. This is a piece of art. And my point to that is, you know, Gates looked at, and he was wildly successful. And so was Joe's. Gates looked at products in a certain way. And Joe's like, and they both brought their unique ability, their unique problem solving to the table. And one appealed to the more creatives and one appealed to the more producer type people, you know, and they were both successful, but they both brought their own unique solution set and background and, and jokes. He just wanted to make beautiful products. Yeah. No, you're hundred percent correct. I mean, there's in, in any of these things, it's a team effort and, and there's different, you know, like, like my job, a lot of people don't want to go do my job. Like I can never go see clients. I can never get on a plane and, and go do what you do. And I'm like, I can't do what you do. I can't put together <laughs> yeah, right. this and that, like so, and that's why it, you know if you get the right team, it works works well together. You so, it up. One quick question I've been wanting to ask, only for the road warriors or the future world warriors, or for the young person listening, or for the salesperson who's maybe frustrated. Give me on your twenty trips or your fifteen trips. Give me your typical week. You leave Monday, come back Thursday. You leave Tuesday, come back Wednesday. You you visit like you're on 24 hours while you're there. Like, what are you doing? Sure. So I normally take the uh, try to take the earliest flight out on like a Tuesday, typically. Okay. And 
if I'm going out west, it might be three nights. If I'm going anywhere else, it's typically two nights. So I try to catch like a 6 a.m. flight. And then I typically try to have three to four appointments lined up and then openings for a couple others, if, if need be that day, of other people that I know in the market. And I try to do a dinner if I can. I try to do lunch if I can. Sometimes I'll drive through lunch to the next spot because, you know, more and more people are getting busier. Or, you know, some people want to go to lunch, some people don't. But so I try to do four to five people a day minimum. And then if I can fit in a couple extra, I will. And then I do that on a Tuesday, the same thing on a Wednesday. And again, if I can grab dinner or someone or a, a beer after work or, you know, a cup of coffee in the morning, I try to do that. Um, and then Thursday, see some people. I, I tend to take a, a little bit earlier flight back on a Thursday. I'm not catching like the seven or eight o'clock. Um, but, you know, I, I want to get back, see the family and, and things like that. I try to coordinate around my my kids' activities and stuff. I, I'm big about, I know if you if people see me, they're like, you got to be kidding me. But I, I am really big about working out on the road. And I will, I do like, so on Tuesday, if I get to the hotel and I'm not going out to dinner, I'll go right down to the hotel gym. And then Wednesday morning, I get up and go to the hotel gym. And same thing Wednesday afternoon, if I can, depending on what's going on. Um, I do that just for, it's a good stress release and it makes me feel better. Um, it's amazing how many people don't work out on the road. It's, I, I very rarely do I, can I not get on a machine? Um, except for when I don't have enough time then there's always someone taking their time on the machine you know, ahead of me but so those are really important things for me to do on the road um i'll uh you know when i'm at when i'm at the hotel i'm, I'm you know i'll either watch something just i'll just unwind i'll do a little bit of work and i'm not someone that's going to work all night when i'm sitting at, you know, I, I try to you know maybe i'll, I'll catch a show I'll, I'll catch up on emails if i have to send some bids out or or, or quotes out to help get some things done um, I'll do that, and then uh, I might watch something on like my iPad or something like that. Read a book, um, and I and I I don't get into I, I like history and some things about people, but I, I'm also sometimes I uh, I'm big on just something simple like a, a John Grisham book that I can just you know lose my mind in. You know, yes, it's simple, but it, it keeps your keeps your mind. You know, I, I'm not gonna tell you I'm reading a seven thousand page war book or you know <laughs> on, on General Patton or something, but um, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of what, what the routine is. And again, I, depending on where I'm going, uh, I might see, you know, 10 to 12 people in that, in that week. And it's, and it's a mixture of blazing contractors, sometimes it's an architect. Um, it could be, you know, it could be a, a metal panel guy. So it's kind of a, a good mix of those types of things. And I, I also try to, when I can, if I can catch up with like an old college buddy or someone that I knew that moved out of town. Yeah, try to with them from time to time, and you know, my my wife always laughs because then when people come to town, um, I'll say, "Oh, so and so's downtown," and she's like, "Oh, what time are you going to meet him?" I'm like, "No, I don't feel like going down." She's like, "Are you kidding me? Everyone goes to meet you." I'm like, "Man, that's funny." Yeah, so I'm trying to get better about that, but you know what? Um, thank you for that. That's really fascinating to hear. I I share your like I, and I'm not exact like I work out seven days a week. I don't overwork out, is it? But I have to do it to get my mind. Yeah, I've got a routine. People that know me know I've got a routine. And I say the quietest place in the morning in a hotel is the workout room, right? Like I'm in there a lot of times. I'm the only person in there. And um, I love it because, yeah. you know, like you say, you get to the right place. And and if 
if there's not a good workout room and that, you know, usually there's multiple hotels side by side, I'll just, you know, walk around the lot. I'll do, I'll go to the room and do push-ups. I'll do stretches. I'll do different things. But I, I share that with you. But I joke that, yeah, those rooms aren't that big generally because they are very quiet in the morning. I like to get up, get moving, get at it early. And um, so that's, that's really helpful. And seeing four to five people a day, you know, that's still a pretty good pace. Sometimes that's hard to do. I've kind of, kind of narrowed down mine um, to maybe four a day, but I used to try to get in more. And, and sometimes it's just a little crazy. You're just rushing, 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 yeah. rushing from person to person. So that's great. Uh, for me, when I'm really checked out and really need to detox, the book is a Lee Child book, a Jack Reacher, which is about oh, yeah. as shallow of a novel as you can read, but Jack's a cool dude, you know, carries a toothbrush and throws his clothes in the trash when he when they're dirty. I like it. Yeah. He's like the ultimate guy's guy. <laughs> so that's really good. Um, I was also, you mentioned one final question before we start to wrap here. Um I was I was wondering about architects. So you do call on and visit architects. Is that because they've asked you for some help or because you're trying to get in a spec? It's probably a little bit of both. And so I've been doing this thing called RQS for probably 11 or 12 years. And it's um, we do one-on-one meetings with architects. And um, and I, I typically pay for like 12, but I always get like 15 meetings. And it's, it's only a Thursday to a Sunday. And it's either in nice resort in California or Florida. They, they flip-flop every year. But that's where I've gotten to know a lot of people. And our, our first job at Clover was uh, a guy from Corrigan Architects calling me you know, from my past relationship with him. And um, and then we jumped in and helped him out from there. So at Clover, we've had to kind of build back up those architectural relationships that I, I probably had before when I was at Drelco. And um, so more and more now we're getting into uh, more specifications. So someone might be calling me about a project, so I'm kind of going to see them about that, or I'm just checking in with them to see what their next project might be. And, you know, We've been fortunate. So that some of the guys at Gensler have been really good about getting us in their national specs. And what I've gotten out of that RQS is I've been able to reach out and say, hey, listen, I'm looking at a job in Texas. And, you know, this guy might be in Washington, D.C. And he's like, enough said, Tom. I'll email the guy right now and I'll get you in the spec. And wow. so it's it's things like that. That's that's what I get out of that, that going to that, um, you know, that, that I want to call it speed dating, if you want to call it whatever. Um, <laughs> but, um, so, so it's a little bit more of that. Uh, it, yeah. We don't spend as much time as a lot of companies, and we we definitely backdoor into most of our projects through, you know, someone else uh, doing the hard work. And but but we we have several architects that we'll work with, and we always tell them, listen, we understand this doesn't mean we're getting the job because we're helping you out up front, but it enhances our chances of knowing about the job. If yeah. it ain't the spec, people, yeah. if everything's equal, they're going to come to us over someone else, and you know that's all you can ask for. And but like I said, I've. I've definitely had uh, enough jobs uh, that we've earned that someone else did all the legwork on. So it it should even it all itself yeah. out long run. But yeah, you're right. It evens out. So that's fantastic. Believe it or not, an hour has passed, but we're not quite done yet because <laughs> you already kind of segue. There's there's a hundred more questions on the table. We could talk architecture and sure flatting and stuff. But on the personal side, you've already kind of foreshadowed some of that. But is there anything else like? You know, you work out, you read, but routines, 
mindsets, any hobbies or recreation other than the things you've mentioned? Um, you know, anything like you're like, oh, I always do this. Sure. Um, I love music. Um, I, and I, I don't get out to as many shows. I used to, down in, when I went to Indiana and Bloomington, they had a, a great live music scene. They had four or five bars that always had bands that would come for two or three days and play. And then every once in a while, I'd get a, a little bit, a bigger guy coming through. And so that, and my roommates were always big into music. And so I really got into music from there. And then when I got out of college, I lived downtown for 12 years and, you know, Chicago's got a great music scene. And, and I went down to Austin city limits when I turned 40 and we, you know, was down there for a weekend. And so like, like, and my kids have a love of music now too. And so we'll sit around and play games and, and my daughters will throw on or my son will throw on, you know, you know, playlist. And so I like, like the Lumineers or I'm big into them and Mumford and Sons and Zach Bryan and any type of music I, I like. I mean, I'll listen to country and, and, you know, and that type of stuff. I like, you know, some of the classic rock when I, you know, was growing up, you know, whether the Stones and, and things like that. Uh, I, I like to play golf. Um, I, I, I used to run a ton, but I, I think I was telling you before I had my knee scoped right during COVID and they took, 70% of my cartilage out, so I can't run anymore, but yeah. I, I do, I do, we have a treadmill in the basement so I can walk on it and do some weights, and um, my oldest daughter always reminds me whenever I go to the the sack, she kind of shakes her head, and so I walk away, and then I wait till she leaves, I go back where I was going to go. <laughs> she's uh, she's our healthy eater, she, she's the one that runs in college, and so she's uh, she definitely watches what she eats, so my other activities are my kids. So, you know, my, my oldest daughter, Maggie, is in uh, gonna be junior in college, and she, she runs cross-country and track. And my daughter, Grace, played volleyball um, last year in high school. She's going to college next year. And then my son, Jack, is going to be a sophomore in high school, and he does uh, lacrosse and football. Wow. And so I'm, I'm pretty – I really do try to make all their games, and so I do try to do my schedule around that. You know, my parents were great about being at all my games, and, you know, it's important to me and – you know, last fall was tough uh, because my daughter was playing volleyball and she didn't start and she didn't play a ton, but I wanted to be at the games and it because I knew that that was that chapter was ending for me and yeah, I, I was able to work my schedule around that and you know, you know, you know that to me was important and kind of like what you said before, like we were saying about seeing people. I, for twenty seven years, I've done a lot of legwork of knowing who the people are. So me having one fall of not getting out as much wasn't going to mean we weren't getting stuff coming in to bid on. So, right. Yeah. Good point. Thanks for that. You, you're a busy guy. You, you exude a lot. It sounds like you exude a lot of energy. You're engaged in a lot of things. That's good. Kudos to you. on being involved with your kids stuff. Anything you want to say before we sign off, anything you missed, anything you like, any, any words of wisdom or knowledge out there? Um, yeah, no, a few. I mean, I, I would like to say, I mean, like, Every success I've had, and not to sound cliche, but there's been so many people that have helped me along the way. There's been some phenomenal customers who take me under their wing and have gone out of the way to help me. And there's been a lot of mentors when I first started out, and they taught me some. You know, at the time, I didn't think they were great lessons, but they were, they were giving me good lessons. Um, I even go back to my my days when I was selling wine, and I had a guy tell me, you know, hey, it's three o'clock and you're done. You had a good week, and you could go home or you could see that one extra client and, you know, maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not. And, you know, I, I, I kind of took that to my approach on the road and I mean, no one knew what I was doing. I, I could have been back to the hotel and knew it every day. And, you know, but I'm like, I'll go see this one extra guy. And so I would say, do those things, T take that extra 
you know, make that extra call and, and, and put yourself in an awkward position. Like at BEC, when I used to go, I was the youngest guy out there. And, you know, and I, it was the name tag days where like, I, you know, I was waiting to talk to someone and, you know, I could have e- easily just went back to my room. I'm like, ah, oh, this stinks. Like, I, I don't want to interrupt your yeah. conversations. You, you feel awkward waiting, but, you know, put yourself in an awkward position once in a while. It's worth it. And I also feel it's, if you are out there traveling, the road warriors and stuff, take the time to to see the city you're in. And, you know, I, I had a rep back in the day and we were, we were traveling and he asked if I had seen, you know, uh, like certain mountains, mountain range. I'm like, no, he's like, all right, let's go check them out. You got to check it. And, it. and that was important too. You know, like he's like, we've had a good day. I guess it's kind of reverse what I just said, but he's like, you need to see this too. Cause you're probably not getting back here. You need to see this. So I, I've tried to, you know, blend, you know, it, it's, I, I'm, I, you know, I, I do like to work hard and do those things. And I, you know, probably, you know, I expect others to do the same thing, but it is important to take a step back and realize how hard that, that you have worked or that others have worked and, and enjoy a little bit of that. So, yeah. Uh, sorry about that. It's probably a little bit of a bumbling answer there, but no, it's uh, not. It's great. I, yeah, I share, I share your view on that. And, uh, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, no, I get it. It all makes sense. It's all good. Wow. Well, we could go on a while, but we're done here. We don't want to wear out. I don't want to wear out, uh, BVS productions that produce sure. podcasts. Um, Tom, thank you for being on. Um, ladies and gentlemen, once again, he is Tom O'Malley, managing partner of Clover Architectural Products. Did I say that right again? Yes. Clover Architectural Products. Thank you. And uh, I'm John Wheaton, host of the Creating Structure podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are signing off.